Well, let me just uh, echo what our campus pastors have said that uh, we would love for you uh, to extend an invitation to a friend uh, this coming weekend. I think any weekend's a good weekend uh, to invite a friend to NCC, but Easter is a special weekend, and so certainly want to encourage you to do that. Welcome uh, each of our seven campuses. Uh, thrilled that you're here. We're continuing our hashtag fail series. And if you have a Bible, you can turn over to Luke chapter 22, uh, or you can follow along on the screen. Here we go. Jesus said in verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not hashtag fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Around the turn of the 19th century, a Russian psychologist and physician named Ivan Pavlov did a number of experiments that won him a Nobel Prize. Now, you know that dogs, uh, we have a dog, Mickey, and it's true, uh, naturally salivate to food. In fact, by, by the way, wow, this is dangerous to get off track right at the beginning of the message, but our dog eats so fast, I, like he eats in 60 seconds. It's like the greatest minute, I guess that's seven minutes, but <laughs> poor dog, like, you know, his favorite minute, one minute of the day is awesome for our dog, Mickey, but before that, he's salivating, you know, dogs salivate to food, but Pavlov wanted to see if salivation could be caused by another stimulus. Now, you remember this from your high school science class. Uh, here's what he did. He conditioned the dogs by ringing a bell before feeding them. And he did this long enough that eventually the ringing bell caused salivation even if the food was never served. Now, Pavlov referred to this learned relationship as a conditioned reflex. Now kind of hang on to that. If you're taking notes, you can jot that down. Let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, I told you about the car I drive. 97 Honda Accord, 245,000 miles. Now there's one little detail that I left off. The radio doesn't work. It hasn't worked for years. And so if I want to listen to the radio, I've got to use my phone. And so... Uh, that very weekend, on the way out of church, hopped in the car, headed down 6th Street. When I got to the corner of 6th and Pennsylvania, uh, came to stop and turned my radio on my phone. And that's when a police officer approached my car and motioned me to pull over. Now, happens to be an old friend of mine. That I've, no I've known him for a long time. And so I thought there was a chance I might just get off with a warning, but... Uh, Evidently, friends don't let friends drive distracted. <laughs> I got a $100 ticket for distracted driving, which was awkward on many levels. Like when, when, when it was time to say goodbye, I really didn't know what to say. Like, hope to see you again soon. Like, not really. <laughs> not under these circumstances. Um, thanks for the ticket. But, but the honest thing is, like, 100 bucks. I mean, 100 bucks is 100 bucks, but really it wasn't the, uh, the price tag. The, the true pain 
was the fact that evidently half of our Saturday night service drives down 6th Street. <laughs> and so here I am, pulled over like as conspicuous as you can be. And it, it was awesome because then everybody's coming to the stoplight, not just going by, but like plenty of time to like, is that? Yeah, that is him. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and it, was, it was awkward. I mean, it was beyond awkward because like people didn't know because I could tell like, do I smile or not smile? Do I wave or not wave? Um, but just based on the number of text messages that I got that I didn't check while driving, um, a lot of people um, happened to see their pastor. Uh, and uh, I, I, let's just say that, that I got a healthy dose of embarrassment and guilt kind of blended together right, right there at the corner of 6th in Pennsylvania. Now, here's my point. Every time I get to the corner of 6th in Pennsylvania, which is about every day, it feels like I'm getting a ticket all over again, okay? These feelings of guilt and embarrassment. I'm just waiting for my, my friend to come out and give me another ticket. I'm waiting for someone to come by and just wave to him. Like, that is a conditioned reflex. It's a conditioned reflex. Now, to one degree or another, all of us are Pavlovian. We've been consciously or subconsciously conditioned our entire lives, and much, is our, much of our behavior is dictated by those conditioned reflexes. So over the course of time, we acquire a, a, an elaborate repertoire of these conditioned reflexes, some that we're aware of, some that we are not. Now, uh, some of them are minor idiosyncrasies. And that's the fun thing about being married to my wife for 22 years because you can kind of read each other. There, you know, if, if someone like, you know, biting the lip kind of indicates a little bit of slight, you know, um, embarrassment or the half smile, the kind of eyebrow up half a centimeter. Like, you, you know, it's these little nuances in a relationship that you learn to read one another um, but others become major personality traits. Anybody know anybody with a critical spirit? And I have a theory about that. It comes out of insecurity because we tend to criticize in others what we don't like about ourselves. And uh, it just, we're better at hiding it through the years. Um, but those major personality traits can become conditioned reflexes so that we react the same way in those situations uh, now, some of those condition reflexes are as normal and natural as a blush, but others are as destructive as drinking to drown your sorrows. But big or small, conscious or subconscious, harmless or harmful, one thing is certain. We are way more conditioned than we realize. So let's start there. And then let me suggest that a huge part of spiritual growth is allowing the grace of God to saturate our lives in a way that God reconditions those conditioned reflexes. So let's jump back into the story. Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Then seizing him, they led Jesus away and took him into the house of the high priest Peter followed at a distance, which is another sermon for another day. But when they had 
kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat down with them and a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. And she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now we're gonna come back to this because I think this is um, a wonderful nuance in this story that we can't miss. And so we'll come back to it. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. So he went outside and wept bitterly, hashtag fail. Now looking at scripture through the filter of Ivan Pavlov is an interesting exercise and Peter makes a fascinating case study. I've read the story of Peter's denial uh, many, many times. But a number of years ago, I had a Pavlovian thought and it was this. I wonder if Peter felt a twinge of guilt every time he heard a rooster crow. I mean, haven't you noticed the way different stimuli can trigger deep memories within us? Um, whenever I smell lilacs, boy, this is gonna sound sentimental. I am transported through time and space to Fridley, Minnesota, to my grandparents' house on the Mississippi River with these huge lilac bushes in back. Whenever I hear Ray Orbison, you got it, which isn't often anymore. I am on Lakeshore Drive, uh, driving northbound from the University of Chicago to downtown Chicago on a date with my then girlfriend, who's now my wife. All of those wonderful feelings come back. One time I was at a burger joint with a pastor friend and that song came on and I thought to myself, I shouldn't be feeling what I'm feeling with this guy right here. <laughs> but you can't help it. They're, they're, those memories are deep within us and things can trigger them. And, and my point is this, that, that this rooster's crow had the same kind of physiological and psychological effect on Peter he let Jesus down when Jesus needed him most. And I've got to think that that sound triggered something in his auditory cortex. It had a Pavlovian effect on Peter. Every time a rooster crowed, Peter felt this twinge of guilt. Now, there's one of those stories that's kind of tough uh, for us to fully appreciate. Uh, especially our more urban campuses, but even in Gainesville, even, yay, in Kingstown. Uh, it, it, we, we don't have very many roosters in these parts, right? Now, the sound of garbage trucks, we get that. Um, but the sound of roosters, um, I, I still remember this, uh, a mission trip to the Galapagos Islands a uh, number of years ago. Uh, we were on the island of Isabella, population, about 1,500 um, population, roosters, about 50,000 at least. <laughs> and I'll never forget waking up that morning to a sound. I thought to myself, we did not set an alarm clock. What is going on? What is that noise? And sure enough, I mean, it was like a 
thousand roosters, a rooster choir right outside our, our window. I, I think what I'm, what I'm getting at is this. That's, that's the noise that Peter would have woken up to every morning. And, and it's almost like, like Peter had his alarm clock set on um, 101.1 F-A-I-L, F-M. Right? Hey, good morning. It's uh, cloudy with a chance of failure. Um, you know, a, a reminder that rooster crowing, it would take Peter right back to this moment and the shame and the guilt. Man, I messed up when Jesus needed me most. I failed him. And over and over and over again. Now, the Bible says that Satan prowls like a roaring Lion. I would also suggest that he crows like a rooster. And his objective as the accuser of the brethren, which is what he's called in scriptures, to remind you of everything you've done wrong over and over and over again. Why? So that you spend so much energy on past guilt that you can't move into the future that God has prepared for you. That you can't give your time, talent, and energy uh, to the purposes, the causes that God has called you to. Why? Because you're stuck in the past. But, but, and so what Satan wants to do is turn you into a reactionary. But what Jesus came to do, he came to break the curse so that we can break the cycle, right? He came to set us free from that guilt so that we can live in the fullness, so that we can be reconditioned by his grace. Now stick with me for just a minute because we're gonna, we're gonna rabbit trail here for a moment because this is huge. It's, it's, a, it's a theme in scripture that we often miss or kind of read right over. But do you remember a few weeks ago, I, I said that uh, it's much easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. And, and I honestly think it's when God's sanctifying work in our life begins to change our reactions. Okay, then something is going on deep within you. Uh, God is working in you in a way if he can recondition those reflexes. Well, what, what reflexes am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about exactly what Jesus said. Pray for those who persecute you. Is that your natural reaction? Uh, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. If someone strikes your right cheek, turn to him also the other. What, what is your natural reaction if someone slaps you? To slap them right back. If you're operating in the flesh, if, if you're at a place where you're just living kind of your, your own life without God's supernatural help, uh, it is going to be next to impossible for you to react in a way that's, that's right or righteous. But what happens when the grace of God begins to recondition our hearts. Well, we start putting this into practice. Now it's counterintuitive, it's counterreactive, uh, and, and something happens. He, here's what I've learned. Okay, everybody has somebody in their life that they don't like, right? Yes? Need a little bit of affirmation here. Um, I'm gonna tell you something right now. You pray for that person. You pray for them. That's all I got. But if you pray for them, something will begin to change in your heart. It will change your reflex when you encounter them. 
It'll recondition you in a way that you can actually show them love when you're frustrated with them. That you can show a little bit of patience, that you can show a little bit of grace to them. Have you ever wondered how Jesus was able to forgive Peter after his betrayal? I know, the, the easy answer is he's the son of God. Okay, and I get that. But what enabled Jesus to just, because I don't know, I would have held a grudge at least for a little bit, right? But Jesus forgives him completely, freely and fully. And, and I think the answer is simple. What did Jesus do for Peter? He said, Peter, I'm praying for you. I'm praying, I know what's gonna happen, but I'm already praying for you. Satan is asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You know what? And the question is, did it fail? Did it? Did the father answer this prayer of Jesus? I would suggest that Peter denied Jesus, but his faith didn't fail. It was his faith that allowed him to come full cycle back into right relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so, yeah, I guess you could say he failed. He even failed three times. But, but failure is not final when you add God into the equation. Jesus says, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Now let's go back to this moment where it says that Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. Now what, what I love about this in part, what if Jesus had spoken to Peter? Well, he would have called Peter out and the three people that accused him along with everybody else would have known that he did in fact know Jesus. And so Jesus in an act of grace doesn't talk to Peter, right? What does he do? He looks straight at him. Now, what kind of look is this? And, and this, is a, this is reading between the lines, and so I can't prove this, but I'm gonna give you my take because I'm the one up here this weekend. <laughs> it wasn't meet the parents, okay? <laughs> Waiting for you to mess up. I got my eye on you. No, 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 no. This was not a look of condemnation. I absolutely believe it was a look of reconciliation. Now, I wish I had time this weekend, but it'd be tough at all seven locations. Just to have a moment, just look you straight in the eye. Something powerful happens when we make eye contact, when, when I'm not just talking over your head, but just for a brief moment with a few of you, I make eye contact. There, there's some connection that happens. Now, now, when our kids do something, and I, I need to get the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, what do you think I ask them to do? Look me in the eye. Because it's a lot harder to lie if you're looking me in the eye. What about when you have that romantic moment with someone you, you love? What do you do? You gaze into their eyes and you see forever. <laughs> right? Right? It's, it's this intimate moment. The eyes are windows into the into the soul, and I just think this is such a gracious moment. Why does Jesus do this? I'll tell you why, because I think he knew that Peter would go and beat himself up over this. You tell me, is it easier to allow God to forgive you or for you to forgive yourself? I don't know about you, but it's a lot easier for me to let God forgive me than it is for me to forgive myself. Why? Because God can forgive and forget but I, I can't forget, I don't have a neuralizer. 
Last week it was my Tommy Boy illusion, men in black. There you go. Um, I don't have one of those things that when I sin, I can immediately forget what I did, did wrong. And so it's so hard for me to forgive myself, especially when I do it over and over and over again. And so Jesus, it's almost like in this moment, Peter, look at me. Look at me. No, no, no. Look at me. I love you. I'm not giving up on you. I believe in you. I still believe that you're gonna help establish this church. It's gonna be okay. We're gonna get through this. Look at me, look at me. And he makes that eye contact in a beautiful, beautiful moment. All right, let's jump back into this story. And we're gonna fast forward to John chapter 21. In John 21, verse three, Peter says, I'm going fishing. I don't know, it could be one of those statements of fact. He's going fishing. But I can't help but wonder if there's a little deeper meaning right here, because what, what did Peter do before he was a disciple? He was a fisherman. That was his career. That was his way of life. It was his occupation. I wonder if Peter thought his career as a disciple was over with. And wouldn't you? And so Peter says, going fishing. Now you gotta love this. Says they caught nothing. <laughs> I love it. Uh, catches nothing. And it says when morning came, Jesus shows up on shore and it says they didn't know it was Jesus. Now I was in Israel about a month ago filming for the grave robber uh, that releases in September a book on the seven miracles in John. And the last day we were filming at the Sea of Galilee and it was foggy and it was so foggy you couldn't see a hundred yards, which is exactly how far they were off shore, 200 cubits. And so through the fog, I'm guessing, they can't make out the facial features. They, but, but they hear a voice telling them to try the other side. Now, I've heard that before somewhere. And it begins to trigger something again in that auditory cortex. They try the other side of the boat. And you got to love this. It says they catch 153 fish. And that, again, is another sermon for another day. But I love this miracle. And uh, I wish I had more time to talk about it. But Peter realizes that it's Jesus. And it says he jumps out of the boat to swim to shore. Like I'm seeing visions of Forrest Gump jumping out of the boat, you know, and swimming to shore. And it's just this beautiful moment that, you know, you gotta love Peter. It's his impetuousness that gets him into trouble, right? Making promises he can't deliver on, cutting off people's ears. But, but he's also likable and lovable for the same reason, like, Oh man, I'm not gonna wait to row into shore. Here we go, I'm diving in, you know? And he swims to shore and it's so beautiful. It says that Jesus grilled some fish. Do you know, we had our first grill out last weekend. Can someone say praise God? <laughs> you know, there's just nothing like nice weather to open up that grill, do what you gotta do. And uh, Jesus grilled some fish. And then afterwards, he pulls Peter aside and he asks him a question. Here it is. Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, I think that these refers to fish. 
okay? And, and I think it's a deeper question than we realize. Peter loved to fish. It wasn't just his favorite hobby. I mean, before Jesus, it was his life. He loved to fish. But do you love me more than these? Do, Peter, do you love me more than your old way of life? And he asked the same question again. And then again, three times. No coincidence. Is it possible that Jesus knew something about uh, conditioned reflexes before Ivan Pavlov came along? Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus restored him in such a beautiful, loving way. Now the third time, here's what it says. It says Peter was grieved because he asked him the third time. Now I want you to hear what I'm about to say and listen carefully. You may have to hurt someone to help them. Did Jesus know this might hurt Peter's feelings? I know what you're getting at, Jesus. You're, you're reminding me of the three times I denied you. But you know what? Sometimes the people in our lives need you to speak a word of exhortation, a word of rebuke. Now, here's where you need to listen carefully, not to get it off of your chest, okay? Not because you want to even the score. Not because you just need to take it out on someone. You better make sure that you're speaking the truth in love and that your objective is restoration in their life. And if you can honestly say that is your objective, that, that restoration, then there are gonna be moments in your life where you have to have hard conversations, where you have to exercise tough love. And those are the moments that can change our lives. I think many of us just kind of keep on in our patterns of sin or patterns of laziness or we keep drinking milk instead of going on to meat because there's never been anybody who's come into our life and actually had the courage and the love to speak boldly and say that God intended more for you than that. He loves you too much for you to stay the same. Now he loves you just as you are. But he wants to change you, not just forgive you. He wants to change you. And it's those conversations that are often the catalyst for change. They don't always happen with intentionality. They aren't always planned. I had one of those conversations three weeks ago. And it could prove to be one of the defining moments of my life. I've been thinking about it, journaling about it praying about it, reflecting on it, acting on it for 21 days now. And I needed it. And it was the most loving, most loving tone that was taken with me. And, and it wasn't even a direct rebuke. But something about that conversation brought the conviction of the Holy Spirit into my life and I knew I had a decision to make. If I don't act on it, what happens is your heart gets hardened. But if you do act on it, then God can turn that into an inciting incident, into a moment that can change the trajectory of your life. So here, here's one challenge this week. Do you need to pray about just someone in your life? I don't think you have to go out and find them, okay? You don't even have to go and look for it. But, but is there someone that you have to love them enough to have a hard conversation with them that you may have to hurt them to help them? 
Let me make one more observation. Verse 4 of John 21 specifically references when this happened. It says early the next morning, the, the NLT says it was dawn. When do roosters crow? Is it possible that Jesus chose this time of day while the roosters were crowing to recondition Peter's guilt? Because here's what I've learned. Sin minus grace equals guilt. There's no way around it. Without the grace of God, you're gonna live in guilt. Listen, you may try to repress it. It may be, it may be subconscious, but I promise you it's there because spiritually you are in a place of guilt. But when the grace of God enters the equation, here's what happens. Sin plus grace equals gratitude. And, and so what used to produce guilt in your life now produces gratitude. Why? Because your sin is nailed to the cross. It's a reminder not of what we've done wrong. It's a reminder of what Christ has done right. His righteousness that he paid the price for our sin. All right, we kind of move this thing to a close, okay? I'm not going to apply for the genius bar at Apple anytime soon. So please forgive the illustration I'm about to give. I know not what I say. <laughs> but sometimes you need to reset your device of choice. Now there's a hard reset. You don't lose any data. It reinitializes the core hardware components it reboots your operating system. But there are also times when the problem is more serious and you need to uh, throw it or kick it or shake it. I'm kidding. That is what I used to try to do. No, um, you need more than a hard reset. You need what's called a factory reset. Now, it may be a malfunction, it may be a virus, it may be to change the configuration, but the one symptom I'm most interested in is to clear the memory. There are moments when you need a factory reset, which is also known as a master reset, that erases all the data, all the settings, all the applications. It restores the device to its original manufacture settings. And I think that's what Jesus does in John 21. It's a master reset, literally. I think Jesus did a hard reset when he made eye contact with Peter. But I think he does a master reset in this moment in John chapter 21. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he shows that love in a profound way. So the question, uh, really, this weekend is, how, how do I do a hard reset? How do I do a factory reset? Well, let me talk about it for just a moment. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all, all unrighteousness. Uh, it's a factory reset, if you will. Uh, confession is the way that we reset in the spiritual realm. Now, when I say confession, I know that for some of you, you have an image of a confessional or a priest, and that's not what I'm talking about. The Bible says that there's one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says confess to one another, 
I think it's healthy to find a friend to confess to one for them so that they know they're not the only one struggling with whatever it is that you're going to confess to them. Uh, Two, for accountability, powerful thing. But the reality is in order to experience God's forgiveness, there's one high priest, there, there is one mediator. And when we confess our sin to the Lord Jesus Christ, a reset happens. Now, the theological word is justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. It's a factory reset. How amazing is that? That if you confess your sin, you are completely forgiven. Give me just one more minute. I think one of our challenges is we make generic confessions. Lord, forgive me for everything I've ever done wrong. Now, can God do that? Absolutely. But that's weak sauce. (laughs) And I think it's our generic confessions that result in generic joy. Sometimes you got to drill down. I mean, can you imagine going to the doctor? Like, I don't feel good. How? I just don't feel good. Well, where? Don't feel good. <laughs> well, how in the world am I going to help fix you if you're not going to talk to me? Is it like your head or your foot? Let's start there. Like, what, what, what's going on? Like, I, I just think that we could learn a lesson or two when it comes to confession. Let me just say it. You need to name it. You need to name the sin in your life. Okay? That's the starting point. Then you need to confess it. Okay? Or forgive me. There's pride in my heart. Um, And you begin to talk with God about the pride. God, I have to be the center of attention that I want the credit. God, forgive me for really wanting you to serve my purposes instead of me serving your purposes. God, forgive me for wanting people to worship the ground I walk on. I worship you. You alone are worthy of glory and honor and praise. And so God, I humble myself before you. There's pride in my heart. I can't do anything about it, but you can. And so you begin to confess that to the Lord and God begins to reset your heart. Now I'm going to invite our worship teams at all of our locations to come as I share this third closing thought. We have a saying, born of baseball, three strikes and you're out. So ingrained in us that we usually give people three chances, but uh, that's it. Now I think this, this hashtag fail series is getting to me, okay? Because about a week ago, a song popped into my spirit that I hadn't, Heard or sung in a long, long time. Now, we used to sing it a lot. Um, and the, the, the first line of lyrics, I found myself saying it, praying it, singing it over and over and over again. A thousand times I've failed, yet your mercy remains. A thousand times I've failed, yet your mercy remains. Do we believe it? Lamentations 3.23, one of the most beautiful promises in Scripture. His mercies are new Every morning, I've been thinking and studying and meditating. I discovered something I hadn't noticed before. The word new doesn't just mean again and again and again. It means different. You tell me, do you sin the same way today that you did yesterday or the day before? Or was it different? And is it possible that God's mercy is different today than it was yesterday or the day before? I thought, let's drill down on this. You know what? I'm 44. 
Now I'm gonna cut myself some slack. First five years, let's call it the age of accountability, okay? Wasn't a huge sinner, all right? And so discount five years. That still puts me in about 14,000 days. I don't think there's a day that there isn't some sinful thought, action, something in my life that I didn't need to confess to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that means that I've experienced God's mercy not just once, but 14,000 times, and not just 14,000 times. How about 14,000 varieties of God's mercy? I just have a growing appreciation that God's mercy, it's there every morning, it's new every morning. You know what? I'm at 14,000 days and counting, and I'm so grateful that every single day, his mercy hits that reset button in my life, and it can hit that reset button in your life. And so let's not just sing. Let's pray this song and worship the Lord Jesus Christ for the mercy he's shown to each and every one of us. Let's stand at all of our locations.